0: we met through a friend of a friend or, or, uh, yeah, we met through a friend of a friend and she was telling me about how great a vocal coach he is. And he really helped me redefine my mix mm. and, um, really like kind of hone in on the idea of like, you can sing effortlessly as high as you can. And so, man, since then, like I've just been going down the rabbit hole. Like I just love doing exercises and I love discovering new ways to use my mixed voice. And, You know, it's a long journey to learn how to sing high, but once you get it, it, I now feel like it's like riding a bike. Like I will never Mm -hmm. forget this feeling.
1: All right. Hey everyone. Welcome back to singing simply where through tips, tutorials and interviews like these, we aim to simplify everything related to singing. So today I'm very, very excited to have singer songwriter, Harry J on the show. Thank you very much for joining me, Harry.
0: Of course. Thanks for having me. This is super exciting to be, uh, be a part of this.
1: Right on, right on. So, um, I think maybe to start off, Harry, I'd love to kind of, um, learn a bit more about your music journey. Like where did all of this start for you?
0: Absolutely. Um, so musically I, have been playing piano since I was, I think five, five years old. I started taking piano uh-huh. lessons. Um, I was a kid with a lot of, uh, compulsive energy and, <laughs> uh, I piano and music as well as sports. I played sports um to sort of harness that energy. And something about creating music on the piano really kind of hit home for me at a pretty early age. Mm. Um obviously when you're, you know, five, six, seven, you're not really writing songs or anything, but I was just kind of creating melodies on the piano and goofing around and my little keyboard had a record setting. So I would goof around with that. Um and I started playing guitar when I was 12. One of my little league coaches um, was a guitar teacher mm. and he really opened my eyes to sort of developing a musical ear. He really helped me develop um, really good pitch and, you know, just the ability to learn songs by ear. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just really jolted me as a kid. I was just so fascinated by the idea that like I could listen to any song on the radio or, you know, back then it was iTunes and my iPod <laughs> and, and learn it.
1: Uh-huh. Um,
0: yeah, I know. Very different, very different from now, but um so that was super cool. I I really got into that. Um like I said I was a pretty serious athlete. I played baseball, um I played basketball as well. And uh I was really serious about baseball for a while, but there was something about just the creative energy that you 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 know develop and and harness when you were making music that I mm. kind of couldn't let go of and I was getting more and more serious about baseball, but I couldn't really let go of music and the more I sort of leaned into it the more it just took over my life like I was just mm. like I want to write songs all the time and I performed at like our local talent shows at high, in high school and I did um you know I did them every year I would do you know we had like a battle of the bands at my church and like all this stuff and I just got like really addicted to performing and mm. writing and creating and uh so it ended up you know becoming more more of a passion play than a uh than a hobby for me um so when I was 18, I decided to audition for Berklee College of Music. Uh-huh. Um, I had been to a summer camp there a few years before, and I really liked it. And I got in, um, and I, I attended. I actually went for. I graduated a uh, four-year program in two and a half years. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, I was. I was like not trying to go into debt, man. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I, I took a lot of credits for each semester. Um, but yeah, I got out. And then, uh, oh, my recording on my computer started playing weird. Uh, So, yeah, so I did that. And then I, um, yeah, man, I loved Berkeley. I studied a lot of jazz composition. I was a jazz composition major. Mm. Um, Studied some songwriting stuff. And I sang at weddings to make money. That was my weekend gig. Yeah, man, it was fun. And then I really enjoyed my time in Boston. But I decided to uh, hit the road and move out to L.A., uh-huh. To do the whole artist thing out here. And now I'm out here, uh, coaching voice as well, you know, teaching music and, and creating and making music. I'm a songwriter and an artist out in LA. So I'm, I'm living the dream, baby.
1: You're living the dream. That's dope. Okay. Yeah. Um, awesome. 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 So, um, one of the things that really stuck out to me, Harry is you're pretty well versed in jazz. And so oh, yeah. for someone who isn't as familiar, um, tell me a bit about that kind of like, um, like writing or performing jazz music. How does that kind of differ from what you kind of see with, like, pop music out there?
0: Oh, man, that's a great question. Great question. So I think right now, pop music is in a very interesting transitional phase where we're mm. hearing a lot of jazz elements fused into pop music. Right. Um, so an artist that I've really been listening to is Dua Lipa. She's a pretty big oh, pop, you yeah. know, mainstream yeah. top 40, and, and there's a lot of groove and jazz elements infused. But when you're when you're composing something that's strictly jazz, it's really, to me... It's about the feeling, the emotion that the chords mm. and the harmony give you. To me, it's all about the harmony and the, the relationship between the harmony and the melody. Right. That's the focal point. That's what I studied as a jazz composition student. It was all about chord changes and uh, reharmonization and understanding why, when you're creating a melody, why those notes relate to the chords underneath them versus moving out to LA where i sort of immersed myself in... I wouldn't say as much top 40 pop, but I, I sort of do a hybrid of jazz and pop and understanding that it's really more about catching a a lyrical vibe and allowing the music Mm. to survey the, the lyrics in a different Mm. way. Mm. Um, but they're, they're quite synergistic. I mean, I think jazz and pop do go hand in hand. It's just approaching the same goal from a different direction. You know what I mean?
1: Mm, mm, mm. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, I would like to really touch upon reharmonization because that's something yeah. I looked into briefly. I don't really have as strong of a jazz background, but can you tell me a bit more about reharmonization?
0: Dude, I I love reharm. I am I'm a reharm addict. Um so <laughs> uh there's kind of two ways to go about it. So so the, the concept reharmonization for for anyone listening who doesn't know is you're taking a structure, a chord structure, a chord change. Say for example we take Eight bars, eight eight measures of a pop song. Let's say we take even a Beatles song. We take "Let It Be" by the Beatles, and it's got four chords. How can you construct a completely different chord base underneath mm. the same melody that still gets you to the same point? So, right. the way I look at it is, um, I'm about to go full nerd mode. I apologize. Please, please do. And- <laughs> cool, cool. So, you know, we've got um, we've got three different main types of chord. Function. We have right. uh, dominant chords. We have subdominant chords. And we have tonic chords. Tonic mm. chords, I, I think of as home base. That's mm. chord number one. That's key major in the key of C. Um, then we have subdominant chords. To me, subdominant chords are the beginning of a tense moment in a chord change. They uh. lead to the dominant chord. The dominant chord is the most tense chord. It takes you back to the tonic. So right. it's sort of a, a circular motion. It's very cyclical the way it works. What you want to do is you can take other keys that are related to the key you're working. So again, let's say we're working in C. What if we were to take, instead of C major, what if we were to take C minor and borrow some of the subdominant chords from C minor and replace the subdominant chords in C major with those?
1: Ah, okay, okay. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying this episode, make sure to subscribe, share with one of your friends and rate this podcast. This would really help grow our community so we can make learning to sing simple for everyone
0: so that's a cool way to look at it um and there's a concept at at berkeley we learned it it's called modal interchange Mm. so that's essentially borrowing chords from related modes of the same key so again like c minor or if you really want to go down the rabbit hole you could borrow something from c phrygian put it into Mm. c major Mm. but all the only way you know how to substitute chords is you take subdominants from those other keys and replace subdominant chords from the original key subdominants okay gotcha you can do, I mean, you can do dominants or tonics or whatever, but it has to be the same function chord replacing a chord of the same function in the other key. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah. So subdominant to subdominant, dominant to dominant, right? Or dominant tonic. to dominant,
0: tonic, tonic, and that's the way that's the way I go about it. That's that's hmm. um, obviously called functional substitution. There's other ways too. You can you can even write out the melody that you have and say, okay, in this four-bar phrase, you know, here's the main kind of meat and potatoes of the melody these are the four notes it's encapsulating what other chords besides the one underneath has those four chords that's another mm-hmm. way to do it or sorry mm-hmm. four notes mm-hmm. but i really like the functional substitution there was a guy um named uh daniel ian smith he was one of my professors at berkeley and like that dude is he's like a genius with this reharm stuff and and i took his reharm course uh my last year and he talked all about the functional substitutions mm-hmm. and and that was such an eye-opening class for me. So I, I do that a lot. Um, even when I'm writing, I'll write something with four chords and then re something something I've already written to get mm. more of a jazz tonality to it.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I've, I've seen so many covers on YouTube where there's, it's, it's you can usually tell like the musicians who are a bit more well-versed, they can always kind of jazz, like, jazz things up just by switching the chords right. around. And it just gives a a different, but still retains somewhat of the meaning. That's the
0: thing man. Yeah, it gets you to the same place. Like it's all about getting from point A to point B, but maybe we take, you know, maybe we take the the, you know, side streets to get to point B. Mm. And the side streets still get you to point B, but it sounds like it's like, "Oh, I'm taking a nice Sunday drive and I'm seeing houses I've never seen before." That's how I think of it. It's like, "Whoa, this is kind of a unique way to get there and now we're here," you know?
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. I wanted to quickly ask about um so for example, say you've got C major. You've also got the relative minor, A minor. Are you also able to just borrow chords from that? Is that similar?
0: Oh, It's going to be a little different there because Mm. if you think about A minor, A minor is C major starting from the sixth degree. Yes. So theoretically, yes, you could substitute chords from A minor into C major, but they're going to have the same function because Mm. let's say, for example, A, A minor. Let's say if we were to go... uh, so let's see. If we were to take the five of A minor, that's mm. E minor. Mm-hmm. um The only way you would substitute that is if you were to modify that to make it E dominant seven.
1: Uh, so sometimes, right, right.
0: sometimes in minor, you know, they'll, they'll, even though it's not diatonic, you'll take the five chord and turn it into a dominant chord anyway. Mm. You could substitute that and use that in context with the C major, but. I would look for the parallel minor, so C major to C minor. Mm. That's really where the key is because those are completely different chord structures because there's different um, accidentals in that key signature. Whereas A minor is all white keys and so is C major. So you yeah. want to find, yeah, you want to find the keys that have different accidentals and different key signatures, and then it's really like, whoa, I'm I'm really experimenting, like I'm playing with fire here, you know?
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think I think that's a great point because. It's almost like if you're going from C major to a minor, it's the same notes. It's the same notes and you're just reshuffling right. it. It doesn't add any flavor to it compared to obviously switching to a minor where you're right. You've also got these black keys all of a sudden that can really add. flavor. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. That's you you know, break it down like, really well.
0: Yeah. It's like, Whoa, where did that come from? That's, that's a E flat major seven. That's leading to a five. Like what, what's going on there. And it's hmm. just, you know, I think the cool thing about pop music today, dialing it back to what you were mentioning earlier is, is a lot of, pop music now is starting to use this um, this idea of functional substitution or modal interchange. I'm hearing it in everything from a Justin Bieber record. I'm hearing Mm. it in the Dua Lipa record. I'm hearing it in a ton of Bruno Mars stuff.
1: Mm. Mm. It's just
0: really cool to see jazz starting to permeate the mainstream sort of like it was back in the sixties and seventies. And uh, man, I'm excited for sort of the the depth we're seeing um, and we'll hopefully continue to see in mainstream music.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think just getting rid from, getting away from like the four chords C A minor. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: like, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. I, I enjoy four chord songs too, but I think a lot of four chord songs are just directly the same as other four chord songs. Mm. It's like the same, you know, one four five one, whatever one six four five one, whatever it is. Mm. So it's cool to see um, a shake up a little bit, you know.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So, um, but that was a wonderful breakdown of the kind of theory or like reharmonization, but I know you're also a fantastic performer. Um, tell me a bit about this kind of seven piece band. Cause I know you started one yeah. um, earlier. Tell me a bit about that.
0: Yeah, man. So when I got to Berkeley, I was lucky enough. It's just a coincidence. So I'm, I'm from the DC area, Northern Virginia, Nova represent. Um, So I was moving into my dorm, I think it was the day I moved in or the second day, Uh and my parents had just left. And I'm like setting up my dorm, I'm like putting the posters on the wall, and these two kids knock on my door. And they're like, uh, you know, hey, we just moved in down the hall, you know, excuse me, we're just going around to introduce ourselves to people, yada, yada, the usual and one of the kids has a, a, a lanyard with his key from a rival high school of mine. Mm, mm. And I'm like, Whoa, that's like crazy. Did you go to, I can't remember what that's like South lakes. I'm like, did you go to South lakes? And he's like, Oh yeah, we both did. We're from Virginia. I'm oh. Like I'm from Virginia. And I'm like, well, what do you guys play? And they're like, we play trumpet. I'm like, well that's crazy because I'm obsessed with jazz and I love trumpets and I want to write pop music that has horns in it. So I got, their names are Khalil and Kyra. They're still great friends of mine to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we met up and we started. I wrote these tunes, and, and they helped me write the horn parts. And we ended up deciding, because we're all from Virginia, we might as well find other cats at Berkeley that are from the DC area, so we can yeah. play around together in the summers when we go home. So we we looked around and we found um, a drummer from my high school who went to Berkeley named Scott. Uh, A friend of mine played guitar named Aiden, bass player named Cole. We had a bunch of sick dudes playing with us um, that were all from Northern Virginia. And there were a few iterations of the band on the way to that that had just, you know, my roommate Mm. played in it. And another friend of mine played drums for a while. But we settled the the final kind of product was seven guys that were all into those those funky, jazzy jams from the D.C. area. Uh And, uh, yeah, it was called Harry J and the Bling so <laughs>
1: that's a fantastic name. I think
0: the, <laughs> yeah. I think the bling came from hotline bling. The song came out like right when I started the band uh-huh. and actually one of the guys that wasn't from Virginia that started in the band, he was like, yo, like Harry Jane, the bling, like it's so sick. And so it just kind of stuck. Yeah. Um, but we played a lot around Boston. We played a bunch of gigs um, throughout New England, really. I mean, I toured up and down the East coast like three times with different iterations of the band but it was always this big like we had two trumpets uh myself lead uh vocals and playing guitar we had another guitarist a keyboard player bass drums so we had seven guys Uh um and it really opened my eyes to arranging and being a band leader like it really kind of was more about leading a group of guys as opposed to just writing songs and saying here's your part just do what you want like it was like yo I had to learn to call rehearsals and run rehearsals. I had to learn to like arrange stuff for a bigger band. Mm-hmm. I had to learn to strip it down for certain sets. So that was a really fun challenge for me to be the leader of a big group of people. Um, but man, those guys are awesome. Like we're all still such great friends and and it ended up being, we all after college went our separate ways and I kind of went completely solo from there. But uh-huh. um, and I, I look back on all those days with like, just so it was so much fun all those tours we did and all the gigs and we we played all over the place man it was it was really fun
1: yeah i mean i actually love to ask like what's been uh, like i'm sure you must have one like what's been one of your most memorable performance
0: Mm, there's a few yeah there's a bunch um okay so i have like three in my head but the one there's two, okay I'll, I'll give you two this is one, <laughs> there's one that i can't leave out and then there's another one that just is so the first sold out show i ever played mm. um was in virginia my hometown there's a venue called jam and java it's like you know 350 capacity something like uh-huh. that but i grew up going to shows there i mean and they had big people like i saw like andy grammar play there and like there's a lot of like mainstream big time people that played sets there uh-huh. and I played like the day of local nights. Um, I played the local nights when I was in high school and stuff and it was cool. But when I got the band together, we came back for a Christmas break in 2016 and they had an opening like the day after Christmas, the 26th. And they were like, yo, we heard about your band. Like, do you want to take a headlining slide? Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh yeah. Like definitely. Um, and we hooked up with another, the guitar player in my band had a friend's band hooked up with us and they opened for us. And man, the two bands together, we sold like, it was like we had people sneaking in through the freaking Damn. back door. Like it was oh. crazy. Like, it was like 400 people in this tiny room. And like, like I sold, I think we sold out the show like, like days before, crazy. Like, it was just like, crazy. and, uh, so I got up there and we actually expanded the band for that show cause I knew it was going to be a big deal. I added background singers. So we had 10 people and a sax player. So we had uh-huh. 10 people in the band. And I got up there and I got requested to cover uh Baby Blue by Action Bronson, which uh-huh. is like one of my favorite songs. And we did it as the encore and I stage dived. I like dove into the crowd and like <laughs> they crowd surfed me and like, dude, they were carrying me all over the place. And I had in your monitors, and, like people were like pulling on the monitors. It was crazy. That was
1: crazy, dude. Um,
0: that was one of the best moments of my life. Like that was such a cool show. And and it gave me a lot of hope that, like, you know, if I can do this, now I was like 19, if I can do this when I'm 19. I can keep this going, you know? So that was a big motivational tool. And then the other one was we played a show in Maine um, on tour. We were opening for a bigger band called Roosevelt time who had a pretty big, like a a small national following, but a national following. So they had, they were able to tour. Um, And we didn't know anything about this place in Maine It's like a big brewery that did live music. And Mm. we, we were kind of writing it off. Like it's probably gonna be like 50 people in this room. It's gonna be crappy. And it was like 200 (laughs) people. And we got free craft beer and all this amazing food. And, like, dude, it was in the middle of the woods, like in the middle of nowhere. And it was just rock and music all night, free beer. Like, that was one of the best days of that tour. I mean, I'll never forget that. Like, the guys I was playing with, we went to a hotel that night. And, man, we were all just, like, on cloud nine. It was like, how do we play that show to, like, a couple hundred people we've never met, drinking this amazing beer, eating this amazing food? That was – that was really cool, man. That was such a, a, a surprise, you know?
1: Yeah. That sounds like so, actually sounds like a lot of fun. Um, now, It was great. I, I wanted to ask, Harry. So, like, I mean, like, we've talked about all these positives. You've had this kind of wildly really? awesome performance with touring. Has there ever been a point where you felt like you're burning out or you're like, gosh, like, I don't know if I want to do music. Any points like that? I
0: actually just had one of those about a month ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. I got to be honest. I mean... You know, when you go to a place like Berkeley, you are surrounded by music all the time. Mm. And it can be difficult to, I'm trying to think of how to put this, but, you know, Berkeley's kind of notorious for like having people who go viral from there, you yeah. know, yeah. like John yeah. Mayer went to Berkeley and Charlie Puth and, yeah. and uh, Passion Pit and all these people. But, you know, at the time in college, I was so focused. I was always really pretty into being a student. I always Mm. liked learning. Mm. So I was so focused on being a good student that I kind of had my blinders on by default a little bit. Mm. When I moved to LA though, and I've been here for two years now, when I moved to LA, I was like, holy crap. Like I am surrounded by people who are killing it. Like Mm. playing, you know, headlining national tours, playing Bonnaroo, playing Lollapalooza, opening up for, you know, I knew someone who was opening up for, um, I can't think of his name, Leon Bridges, like all these mm-hmm. crazy people like, and uh, I had, a, I mean, I've had plenty of these moments, but about two, maybe two months ago, man, I had been working so hard. And and like I said, I'm a music teacher too. So I was working, you know, teaching like 30 hours a week mm-hmm. going to the studio during the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. so teaching on zoom, uh, which is difficult as I'm, I'm, sure you're doing all this on zoom. I'm sure, you know, it can be, can be difficult. Yeah, yeah. Um, teaching on zoom, um, not being able to play shows, which to me, I love the creative process and I love writing, but performing and and being on that stage is something that drives me so much.
1: Mm.
0: Losing the ability to do that has been really tough. Yeah. So not having that and then being in the studio for hours and just feeling like I, I felt so hopeless, like, what is the point of this? Like I can't perform. I can't really promote the music properly. I don't feel like I want to release it because it's just, everyone's like, just dead inside right now. Mm. And it really got to me. I mean, I, I, you know, I was burning out. I mean, I play, I play a lot of golf. That's like my secret side hobby. <laughs> and like, dude, I was just golfing every day cause I just didn't want to do music. I was like, man, I'm so burnt out. Like,
1: yeah. And yeah.
0: you know, I think it's really hard to get through that. I mean, it took me a long time to get through that. Um, and it's really depressing to be fully yeah. honest. Like it was very depressing, but what I found is like, you have to just accept it. Mm. I was fighting it. I was like, I'm gonna force myself to write for two hours today. I'm gonna force myself to go to the studio and like, you just kind of have to accept like, this sucks right now. I'm just gonna mm. take my hands off the wheel and see what happens, you know?
1: Hundred mm-hmm. percent. I mean, like, I think it's a guy called Jim Ron. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. Um, he's mm-hmm. like a kind of very famous kind of life advice kind of guru. Yeah. And he was just saying how like in, in general, right, you're gonna go through the seasons of life: summer, winter, whatnot. And we are in the a pretty big winter at the moment. And so I think, I think just learn to ride through that winter. And I think one thing that's really important is a lot of kind of growth does also happen in winter. So maybe potentially, right. Like, is there anything we can transition? I've seen a lot of um, artists transition to like Twitch or like live streaming uh, their performances.
0: I've some of that lately. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Any success eh?
0: Yeah. We've had a couple of good live stream shows. I'd love to try Twitch. I, uh, I'm a bit of a, uh, you know, Pokemon buff myself. So maybe <laughs> I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll combine the two streams of Pokemon and, and do music. But yeah, I think that's kind of what the industry is in, right. Is moving toward. But what you said is exactly right, man. I mean, we're, we're going through the seasons of life. This is winter. And, um, the wise, very wise woman. That is my mother who, by the way, it's her birthday today. Shout out to my happy mom. birthday. Um, she always says like, embrace the pain of life, embrace the sadness. Like, you just kind of have to like accept it. I think I was deflecting so much, like forcing myself to fight through it that I yeah. got to a point where I was like, dude, this isn't getting any better because I'm not just accepting it sucks and it's going to mm. suck and that's it, mm. you know? Mm. So I think what you said is exactly right. Just live through the season, you know?
1: Yeah, 100%, 100%. Um, let's dive a bit more into your music, Harry. So um, like you, you've you released a couple of songs. You've got Pool Party, which I checked out, which is awesome, awesome. Um, tell me Thank a bit you, about- the story, or like maybe the journey behind creating this kind of song,
0: dude. Um, great question. Uh, I s- that song started with the bass line. I have been super into bass, super into bass this whole year. 2020 was the year <laughs> the bass for me. I I bought my friend's like old crappy secondhand bass, and I'm I'm obsessed with old disco tracks. And uh, oh. I've been listening to a lot of Prince, a lot of Prince, mm. a lot of Patrice russian a lot of Stevie Wonder.
1: Hey everyone, if you're stuck with singing and would like some help, I'd love to work with you. At the moment, I'm doing trial lessons for first timers. To schedule a time with me, all you need to do, jump onto singingsimply.com book. So that's singingsimply.com book. I teach students all over the world on Skype or Zoom. Let's get you singing better.
0: And um, I don't know, man, I just got really into slap bass. And I started playing this line on the on the E string. It's an uh, you know, it's an E minor. And I was just bang, 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 kind of slapping around an E. And I sort of accidentally came across that boom, 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 boom. Whoa, this sounds really cool. And I just sort of developed the bass line. That was one of those coming of age moments. I was sitting at the computer, Like I've got like this home studio, sitting at the computer playing the bass line, and like the whole song came to me in like two hours. I was just like, oh man, I hear the melody. I got the bass line. I, I got the whole melody. I got the whole chord changes. Boom. It's like down. The lyrical concept came from, um, it's sort of an amalgam of a few different stories I've heard. It, it's, you know, related to my life as well. But uh-huh. I remember feeling that groove as like, it's in a minor key. So it it's not going to be like the most happy-go-lucky song, but it's so groovy and funky. It has to be kind of like, uh, what's the word? It, it's got to be witty. It's got to be, um just kind of a quirky but Mm, mm. the melancholy lyrical theme but just delivered in a quirky way Mm, mm. so I'm thinking you know when I was in high school and and in general when people are that age everybody wants to be cool you know everybody wants to be cool. like (laughs) nobody feels like they're cool everybody wants to be cool nobody feels like they're cool And that whole idea was like, man, like, I remember there were parties I didn't get invited to. And I just felt so mad. And there were other parties I did get invited to. And I knew other people who felt mad about it. And I just kind of took that whole concept of, like, this, like, frustrated kid who's like, (laughs) screw it. Like, I'm just going to get famous and throw my own party. And then you're not invited. (laughs) And it it just turned into this goofy, witty, like, song. And uh, it all came from the baseline. But, you know. In general, when I create songs like that, the groove comes first for me. The music, just from the jazz background, the chord changes in the groove that I create mm. develop the entire idea for the lyrics and the song. So that was the whole thing. I caught the moment with the groove and I was like, boom, I know what I need to write about. Here's the idea, I'm gonna go do it tonight, you know?
1: Yeah, that's that's cool. I actually just came off a, um, an interview with a, a songwriting coach, and she actually mentioned that okay. a lot of fantastic songs done when you have something to say and usually right if you have that idea you should be able to complete it pretty quick um yeah absolutely exactly the songs you like that you really want to write they come out just like that um so i think that's a really cool idea
0: i think that yeah i think if you have a a groove i mean and again it's different for each person like i've written Mm. with writers uh, actually written with writers who are like live and die by the lyrics first. Lyrics have to come first. And that's totally cool too. It's just my method is like, let's catch the vibe. Like, let's feel what we're trying to feel with a groove. I've Mm. got this, like exactly what you just said. Like, let's make a story to write before you even write the story. Mm. I know what I'm going to write about. Boom, story Mm. time. It's easy. It's like getting a prompt in an essay. You know, you're like, write about a time you were upset about this, blah, blah, and write it this way. Boom, I can do that
1: yeah so
0: i think it's, it's a cool way to look at it
1: 100 100 uh we've we've covered a lot of ground harry i mean we talked about jazz we talked about your like your history we haven't talked about singing which is um <laughs> kind of the point of this uh this podcast um yeah man you, you can sing very high dude i've checked out some of your stuff on your story like you've got a crazy uh, a mix if you use those terms like like were you always able to do that
0: no 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 um i was classified as a kid as like a bass two like not as a kid but when i was a younger um adult kind of late adolescent my voice had changed and developed and dropped i was always a decent singer i could always hit hold the tune but hmm. um everybody said oh you're a baritone you're never gonna sing higher than an e like e4 that's your note maybe yeah. maybe if you really stretch you can get to like g you know maybe but you'll be straining and and I was like, man, that's such a bummer. All my favorite yeah. singers, like I like I said, I love Prince, Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder. Like, I want to sing Isn't She Lovely in the original key. And I, I just have always been kind of a self-motivating person. I don't really like to let other people motivate me. I kind of just like to do it myself. Yeah. So I was like, you know, screw that. Like, I'm gonna figure this out, <laughs> out on my own. There, there's no way. Cause like, you know, I've listened to Prince do interviews and he's like, yo, I am Prince. Like, I'm like, dude, mm. that guy's voice is deeper than mine and he's singing higher than me. Mm. There's no way that that's. So I start going on the internet and, and this is kind of like YouTube is fully taken off at this point. And I'm looking around and I see this thing called mixed voice. yeah mixed voice. So they're talking about bridging your head voice and your chest voice and getting all these exercises you're pinching your nose, you're going, <laughs> ah! and all this goofy stuff. And, uh, I just kind of like trial by fired it and did a bunch of exercises. And I had this awesome vocal coach when I was in high school. Her name's Marguerite. She's wonderful. Mm. Um, he kind of introduced me to the concept. So I brought it up to her and she was like, here's some exercises you got to do to find it. And then I went to college and I just was like in college, totally like, yeah, trial by fire, trying different exercises. And I remember one day I was just kind of waking up, yawning. And I was like, woo! Oh, oh and I was like, whoa, that's like a B flat. Holy crap. <laughs> and uh so it just kind of popped. Mm. Um, but so so that was at, at that point I was maybe 18, and I was I was singing a lot higher and more comfortably. But when I started doing weddings, I was using my voice so much and I still wasn't quite dialed in with the mixed voice thing. Mm-hmm. So I started pushing too much, and I yeah. actually had a bit of I had a vocal hemorrhage. Right, um, right. So I had to relearn my mix and, uh, that's how, you know, Brandon, I know you did an interview with, um, yeah. mm-hmm. and he's the one who put us in touch. He, I reached out to him. We met through a friend of a friend or, or, uh, yeah, we met through a friend of a friend and she was telling me about how great a vocal coach he is. And he really helped me redefine my mix mm. and, um, really like kind of hone in on the idea of like you can sing effortlessly as high as you can and so man since then like I've just been going down the rabbit hole like I just love doing exercises and I love discovering new ways to use my mixed voice and you know it's a long journey to learn how to sing high but once you get it it, I now feel like it's like riding a bike like I will never Mm. forget this feeling Mm. and so yeah now I can sing you know up to like a d5 d sharp 5 in like a full voice and have no problem with it you know
1: yeah. you got a crazy voice and I think you've brought some really, really cool ideas because I don't know who is spreading this. Maybe it's the industry and that a lot of low voices can't hit high. Um, Like a lot of yeah. students are, like, yeah. And I think it happened to me as well, right? I was like, Oh, you're a bass, you're a baritone. When, whenever you go to like a choir setting and you're just like, where does this come from? I'm really not sure. But then you start discovering that it's not the absolute truth. True. Yeah. Jump right.
0: in. So I, I actually, it's funny. I think not only is it not true, I actually think baritones have the ability, I I have two guys, so i work with Brandon, I have this other guy named Tyler, who's also awesome. Mm -hmm. And he was telling me this, and I totally believe it, baritones have the ability to stretch their vocal cords a lot more than I think tenors do. So I actually think baritones, with the right training, can actually, not maybe reach higher notes, but can access a bigger range. I think it's easier if you know what you're doing to learn how to reach higher than it is to reach lower. Yeah. Yeah. So, where the rumor came from, I don't know. But that's something I've been to <laughs> choir directors and people in school. And, like, oh, you're bass, you know, just, just maybe lock the door and turn the lights. No, that's your note. <laughs> that, dude. I want to sing like Prince. I want to sing like Stevie. Like, and I think, I think honestly, it comes from humans speaking especially english the language of english Mm. it's such a guttural language it's very wordy there's a lot of vocabulary when we speak we're in chest voice you know Mm. all the time and Mm. we're using it so much and a lot there's a lot of tense jaws and a lot of tense tongues Mm. when we're speaking english specifically (laughs) that it becomes more difficult for your body to release tension to feel the right sensation to sing high yeah and so you get so used to that that People who speak deeper and have thicker vocal cords like we do, yeah, it's harder to let go of that. So I think people just assume like, ah, you'll never be able to do that. And it's really just because we're learning bad habits by speaking. Yeah. So what I do as a teacher, the first thing I do when I hear someone come in and say, I want to sing higher, strip the chest voice, just falsetto. We're going to go, we're going to learn that falsetto. We're going to dial that in. Like, dude, we're going... We're going forty to thirty percent volume, all falsetto. Go 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 go! All falsetto, mm-hmm. and then we'll start to click in the mix stuff after you've got all this resonance developed. You know?
1: Yeah, I like that. That's a very that's a very nice approach.
0: Yeah, yeah, man. I just think everyone's like talking in chest all the time. Like your chest voice is developed. We don't need to work <laughs> on it. It's fine. You know? Uh, uh, yeah, that's um, what I, think about.
1: I, I like that. I, I think you. I wanted to add on because I think apart from that kind of gutter, which is very, very, very true. I think there's also a part of us, which is we naturally kind of sabotage our own success, which is yes. for example, when you look at someone who's wealthy, you're like, oh gosh, like he, he must have like struck it lucky or something. But little do you know that he's just put in time, put in all this effort. He's been doing it for years. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same with these voices who are like really high. Like I'm sure there are some voices who can naturally do that, but a lot of the yeah. voices they've trained so hard for it. They've like, they spent years and years developing their craft. I think for a lot of people who come in and like, I'm based am a baritone, I think you're leaving yourself and letting yourself get off easy. Um,
0: yeah, I totally agree.
1: Mm. Uh, yeah. Exactly, I think, exactly.
0: Um, I think people, music is one of those things where like, and we we're talking about burnouts earlier, like this is part of the reason why musicians burn out. Like, If you want to be a successful musician, if you want to be a great singer, great guitar player, whatever, you better put some stuff aside and bust your chops and practice. <laughs> yeah, work uh-huh. hard. Uh-huh. Like, you know, and I think there is a sense of people being like, you know, a lot, of, a, a lot of people have said like, wow, I really noticed your voice has gotten so much better and you can sing so much higher. Like, how'd you do it? Like, I'm like, I practice like four hours a day. Like, it's not like, you know, I'm not just sitting there twiddling my thumbs. Like, and I do think w- <laughs> what you're saying is right. A lot of people realize that and they're like, do I really want to put in that much work? And I'm just gonna say I'm a baritone. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. the fault of anybody. Like, you know, each person's journey is very different. But with a little bit of that hard work, like anybody can learn how to do it. And I think you're exactly right. I think it's sort of this sense of like, people don't really know where to look and what to do. It's almost like, um, there's a term for this, and I've forgotten what it's called. But It's when there's so much information that it's actually too much and you don't look anywhere because it's Mm. like all over the place. Mm. When I was learning mix, I was like, well, I could use this guy's YouTube or this guy's YouTube or this guy has, you know, Vine back then. This guy does singing Vines and this guy does that. And like, where do you start? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think the first step is the, the most important, but you know, anybody listening to this, like if you're wanting to learn how to sing high, like you can do it, you know, anybody can.
1: Yeah. That's, that's really, really cool. I think, I think, I think they do call it information overload. So just when you've got so much stuff coming at you, you there's like the brain can only absorb so much. You just got to do something. Um, yeah, so it's
0: like too much.
1: Yeah. So, so Harry, I know you got a recording session after this, um, to kind of wrap off for today. Um, if you were to leave the audience with maybe one kind of little singing tip, just, just because we're singing simply, um, what yeah. would that one tip be?
0: Oh, that's a great, great question. One singing tip
1: has to be actionable.
0: (laughs) So first of all, warm up every day. I don't care if your voice feels like it's perfect. Do a little bit of warming up every day. Mm. Number two, experiment with your voice in the shower.
1: Ah, nice.
0: Experiment with your voice in the shower. Not in the car. I know everybody's like, I want to belt in the car. Car is not a good acoustic environment, but in the sh- shower, especially in like a big reverby bathroom, you get steam opening up your sinuses. It's lubricating your vocal cords. It's going to re- be reverby, so you're not going to push too loud. And mm. my Some people have alternating theories about that, but I think it's easier to sing with a lot of reverb. Just experiment in there. Like you're there's so much steam. Like I guess it's lubricating your vocal cords. Like they're primed to do their best work in there, you know? So just experiment. And 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 that I guess the overall tip is just don't be afraid to screw up. Experiment yeah. with stuff. You're gonna screw up and make weird noises and your voice is gonna crack, and that's okay. Mine does sometimes too. It's part of the journey, you know?
1: uh uh-huh. Well, there you have it. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Um, once hey, thank you for
0: having me. This is awesome.
1: <laughs> I'm definitely going to bring you on. Like, there's so many nuggets that you shared today, and I'm sure that's probably like just the tip of the iceberg here. But I would love I, to have you on board I again.
0: Hope so.